listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. John chapter 10 this morning, we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus. And before we actually read the text, I would like to try to grab a hold of your heart and mind and draw you in a little closer this morning um, by helping us understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish by making these uh, I am statements. Um, By way of illustration, um, a few years back I had surgery and as they were putting the feel good serum into my arm to knock me out. I remember distinctly looking up at the lady that that was administering the anesthesia or whatever it was. And as I looked up at her, I told her, I said, I just want to tell you everything about me. I think she reached down and grabbed the knob and increased the volume. She didn't want to hear it. There's something about us that wants to be known. And there's something about us that wants to know others. I believe that's baked into us from creation. I believe we see the beauty of it in Genesis 2.25 where it says that Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. They were fully known and they were fully accepted. And I think there's that longing in all of our hearts. I remember when I met my wife and I didn't really meet her, but I saw the letters that she had written to one of my good friends at college. And then I met her when he asked me to go tell her that he wasn't coming back to college. I didn't think much about it. Then she called and asked me out on a date. And I went just to oblige the invitation, and I think I fell in love on that first date, Um, and that was 44 years ago. Um, And then I asked her out, and I knew then, after we went skating, and I did not know how to ice skate, and I spent most of the evening with the back of my head on the top of the ice. I knew that I was in love at that point. And then we got married on August the 30th, 1980. And now we've grown together for years, and we've been on this quest to know one another. And I I want to know her, and she wants to know me, and we're still growing together in that knowledge of each other. But here's the the kicker. Uh, She is never going to know any more about me than I tell her or let her know, and I'm never going to know any more about her than she lets me know about her. When we come to these I am statements about Jesus, Jesus is telling us what he is like. Jesus is telling us what he is doing. Jesus is telling us who he is, and he's using these seven I am statements, these seven layered statements that are experiential realities that engage us intellectually and emotionally. Every one of these seven I am statements, when he says, I am, boom, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. Every one of these I am statements is given to us and they are experiential realities that everyone knows about in the world except the resurrection and they saw that with Lazarus. But they're also intended to capture an eternal reality that we can now know and experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gave us these realities. Now let me be clear. He didn't give us these realities. He didn't say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am divine. 
Jesus didn't give us these realities so that we can understand the technicalities of who he is, but so that we can experience at the deepest level of our being the reality of who he is relationally, so that we can experience the beauty of who he is relationally, so that we can experience the sufficiency of who he is relationally. For example, we've already looked at bread, right? He said, I am the bread of life. Now, what Jesus didn't want us to draw from that was that I am flour, that I am salt, that I am yeast, that I am water. That's what we would do many times in our theological pursuits. We're like, well, let me break down bread. What is bread? Here's how you understand what bread is. You understand what bread is when you walk in Panera Bread and the scent of bread hits the, your, your, the, the, your sense of smell. And then all of a sudden, that triggers the watering of the mouth, Right? Or you go to uh, O'Charlie's and they're like, would you like some bread? And we're like, sure, we would like some bread. And it's really good when you just slather it with cholesterol-infusing butter. We just love bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life because he wants us to understand. And that's why the scriptures tell us what? Taste and see that the Lord is. He is good. It's not a matter of me understanding the, the components of bread. It's a matter of me understanding in, in the deepest level of my being who Jesus is. When he says, I am the light of the world, he, he doesn't want us to understand that light is the electromagnetic radiation wavelengths between 380 and 750 nanometers. He wants us to understand that we are in darkness. And until we know him, we cannot see he wants us to walk out and see the sun going down and say, that is absolutely amazing. Wow. Wow. I can't explain it. I got up the other morning and I watched this. The sun is rising. We live on the sixth floor of a condominium unit and I opened the door and I just, I could not, I could not contain myself as I looked at it. I had to take a picture. I had to send it to my family and everybody that looks at it says that it's such a beautiful sunrise. That is like Jesus wanted us to experience the, the beauty of light. That is why when you read through the New Testament and everybody early on that finds Jesus, what do they say? Do they say, come and hear? Do they say, come and learn? Do they say, come and be taught? They said, come and see. Come and see the light of the world. Come and experience through your senses at the deepest level of your being. Jesus said, I am the door. We're going to see that here in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. What is a door? You can look up the definition of a door. It is a hinged, sliding, or revolving barrier at the entrance to a room, a building, a car, etc. Jesus wants us to understand that the door is a person, and the door is a relationship, and the door, him, is a way in and a way out. And if you want to go in for protection and you want to come out for provision, then you need to go through the door, and Jesus Christ is the door. So let's look at the text together, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to break it down into three parts. The first thing that we are going to see is this illustration, verses 1 to 6. Jesus gives us an illustration that is as old as Israel's history. They were, they were shepherds. They were sheep herders. We can go all the way back to, um, to Jacob and his family going into the land of Goshen, and they were despised by the Egyptians because they, they, were, they were shepherds. 
they were shepherds. And so they put them in the land of Goshen, these 70 or 75 people, and they grew to be 2 million people over a period of 400 years. But the, the, So this history of being shepherds goes all the way back. And as we read this, we need to understand that these people are fully familiar with these uh, concepts that Jesus is teaching them from the, the simplest things of life. But he wants their understanding of these simple things to go deep into their soul so that they understand who he is. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, this illustration Jesus used with them, this metaphor Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They, they understood this, but they're trying to wonder what is he getting at. So that's the illustration. Jesus moves in verses 7 and 9 to the explanation. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. He doubles down on the statement. I am the door. You need to understand this. This is the explanation in that illustration. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out, go into the sheepfold and go out of the sheepfold with the shepherd to find green pasture and still waters and restoration of soul. I will go, will go in and out and find pasture. And then finally, um, we see this conclusion that Jesus draws and it's essentially the application made in two comparative statements. He says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is comparing two things here in the whole text. He's comparing him and his word and his voice to the Pharisees and their word and their voice. He gets that from John chapter 9. If you go back to John chapter 9, you understand that John chapter 9 is between Jesus is the light of the world and before John chapter 9, Jesus is the light of the world. Early on, there's a woman who's caught in adultery and the Pharisees want to stone her or at least want Jesus to condemn her. Jesus says, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. So here's the light shining on the sinfulness of a person's heart. Then we move forward. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Then he moves into chapter 9 and here's a guy who is in complete darkness darkness because he's blind and Jesus opens his eyes. But what happened when Jesus opens his eyes is that the Pharisees were irate. So John chapter 10 is exposing the difference in the ministry of Jesus and the Pharisees. You see, here's what you need to know about Pharisees. Pharisees will always leave you in a bind. Pharisees will always leave you in a bind. Don't, don't miss that. You see, here's a blind man. The blind man can't see, and the Pharisees were content. The Pharisees were content to leave the man in his blindness. Jesus comes, 
He opens the eyes of the blind man. The blind man has no relationship with the Pharisees, only to be condemned by them. And in fact, they excommunicate the blind man out of the synagogue because he is praising Jesus for doing a very obvious work. You see, the Pharisees would have been happy to leave him in a bind. But Jesus set him free from his bind. The guy didn't have any theological depth. He didn't have any theological understanding. He didn't really know even who Jesus was. But then Jesus comes to him like a shepherd to the sheep. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with this man and invites him to follow him. And then we come to John chapter 10. And Jesus is now saying, let me tell you about the Pharisees. And let me tell you about me. You see, the Pharisees will leave you in a bind. But here's what every one of us in this room needs to understand. Every one of us is in a bind. Every one of us is in a mess we can't get ourselves out of. Every one of us is like in a cage, in a, in a cage or in a room with four walls and no door. And we have no hope. And we're beating our head against the wall. And we're trying to work as hard as we can work. And we're trying to dig as hard as we can dig. And we're trying to be as good as we can possibly be. But there is no way out of these four walls. We are all in a bind. And the thing that Jesus wants us to see is that he gets us out of the bind of sin that we are in. Because he is the way out. The Pharisees will leave you in a bind. Some of you have been exposed to religion that has left you in a bind. You can't be good enough. You can't confess your sin enough. You can't perform well enough. You can't give enough. You can't be faithful enough. You walk around with guilt. You walk around with shame, and you can never be set free. And in fact, many times and in many churches and in many religious institutions, the church takes advantage of shame and guilt to get people to perform better. That is quite frankly pharisaical. The Pharisees will leave you in a bind. Sin has left every one of us in a bind. Jesus frees us from the bind that we are in to walk out of death into life. Let's look at this illustration quickly uh, this morning. And we see, uh, first of all, verses 1 and 2, this comparison. Jesus compares uh, the 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 true shepherd and the true sheepfold and the robbers and the thief. Let me, let me walk through this quickly and show you um, the comparison coming out of John chapter 9. What is the sheepfold? The sheepfold was a, a, a walled-off structure that uh, was high enough so that the sheep couldn't jump out, but it wasn't so high that robbers couldn't jump in or wild animals couldn't jump in or wolves couldn't jump in. And many times they would take briars and put them along the top of the sheepfold so that if anybody did try to get in, it would, it would hurt them. When we lived in Uganda, we had a wall around our compound and the Ugandans that built that on the top of the wall took glass and broke it up and they had glass sticking up all over the top of the wall. So if you tried to go over that wall, you were going to get cut up. You were going to have a problem. And that's what the sheepfold was. It was a place where you could take your sheep, but watch this. It was communal where other people would take their sheep as well. And there was a gatekeeper and the gatekeeper knew the shepherds and the gatekeeper watched over the sheep probably while the shepherd did the things that he needed to do in gathering supplies or whatever it was because the shepherd spent his life with the sheep. So, so what is the sheepfold? What are the, what are the options for entering the sheepfold? There are legitimate ways to enter the sheepfold, and there are illegitimate ways to enter the sheepfold. The legitimate way to enter the sheepfold is through the door. The illegitimate way for entering the sheepfold is jumping over the wall. 
Anybody that goes through the door is a shepherd, but anybody that jumps over the wall has the objective of bringing harm to or uh, exploiting or taking advantage of or using the sheep for their own purpose. What are the options of who enters the sheepfold? Only a shepherd can enter the sheepfold. The, the, the clarity of this text couldn't, couldn't be any greater. It couldn't be any starker. There is the thief, the robber, the stranger who wants to exploit and abuse and to take advantage of, who wants to steal and kill and destroy, who will leave you blind and in your sin and excommunicate you. They are associated with being wild animals and wolves. But then Jesus makes it clear. The shepherd enters by the door and he has a relationship with the sheep and he is welcomed by the doorkeeper because he is legitimate. This is directly related to the ministry of Jesus, comparing him and his ministry to the Pharisees. And it's also a warning that extends throughout the life of the church. Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he says, shepherd the flock of God. He said, wolves are coming in. First Peter chapter 5 tells those who would lead the church to shepherd the flock of God. Third John chapter or third John verse 9 tells us that there were problems in the church there because there were those who didn't want to shepherd the flock but wanted to have preeminence. Jude tells us in verses 3 and 4 that there are those that will try to creep in unawares into the church to take advantage of the sheep and we have to constantly be on guard. So so we see this comparison in verses 1 and 2. But secondly, and if you don't get anything today, I want you to see the compassion in verses 3 and 4. I want, to, I want you to just stop and take a deep breath and understand how Jesus relates to the sheep, how Jesus, how a shepherd relates to the sheep, and how Jesus relates to you and me. And, and if you'll just bear with me for a minute while I go through this section that we have here in this illustration, then I will hasten through um, to the end and, and set your children free. Um, what do we know in verses 3 and 4? We know that the shepherd of the sheep enters by the door. Secondly, we know that the gatekeeper of the sheepfold approves the shepherds, the shepherd. He checks his credentials. He allows him access. Thirdly, we know that the sheep, listen carefully, that the sheep hear the unique voice of the shepherd. Watch this. You've got several shepherds that have dropped their flocks off into the sheepfold. You've got different sheep all mingled in together with other sheep who are in the sheepfold. The sheep hear the unique voice of the shepherd. They don't hear commands. They don't hear orders. They don't necessarily um, hear ideas communicated through the voice of the shepherd, but they hear the voice of the shepherd. It, it is the voice that engages something in them. There is this tone. There is this familiarity. There is this assurance and confidence and sense of belonging because when they hear the voice, they know who it is that's talking to them. That is critical. That is critical. Hearing the voice. I, I, most of us are like, just tell me what to do. Right? If I just knew what to do. And here's what I would tell you. Quite frankly, that might teeter on the side of the Pharisees who have the commands. But Jesus has the voice. The Pharisees even had the word. 
but they didn't have the voice. Here's the problem with the Pharisees. They had the word, and the Pharisees wanted to be the voice, and that's why they hated Jesus. But quite frankly, Jesus Christ is the voice. I, th- I thought about the concept of uh, voice, and I, th- I think it resonates with you as well. There's, there's a voice in all of our minds where I remember, I remember when I was in middle school, and uh, my science teacher probably had every reason in the world to say what he said to me. I probably gave him every reason to say what he said on a silver platter. He said, Mark Powell, you'll never amount to anything. I think he meant well by it. I think he was trying to motivate me underhandedly. Back in the day, you could use negative things to motivate people. I'm not suggesting that you do that now, but it stuck with me. Mark Powell, you'll never amount to anything. That's, that's a voice that you hear. I remember as a kid growing up, um, we had a lady to come help us in our home. She was a retired school teacher. She was from New York, and she was the first person, I believe, that I remember in my life that ever said anything to me that was encouraging, at least that I remember. I'm sure somebody did. But there was something about the way she stopped and looked me in the eye and gave me a vision of who I could be as a five- or six-year-old. And I just heard her voice like I heard nothing else. When I went to my first church in New Orleans, Retina, Louisiana, we had to stay with an older couple, uh, um, Poppy and Miss Jackson. And, and Poppy just took us in. We lived with them for three weeks, and when we moved out to our house, Poppy, who was 75, cried, and I cried at 25. And did you know the whole time I was there in New Orleans for 14 months, and that's all I could stand in New Orleans? Anybody from New Orleans, I'm sorry. But the whole time I was there, I talked to that man every day. And he had this, this, this old man voice, you know, just kind of breathy voice. But I wanted to hear what he had to say. I wanted to listen to him. I, I, I remember going to my first church where I pastored, and, and Allie Beal would say, things to me that just spoke into my soul. I remember going to Fairburn and Ernest Harris, uh, he would watch me get chewed out at the back door by somebody and Ernest would walk up and he'd say, you're worth a million dollars. I'm like, dag on it, you know. But what he was saying was, you have value. I can remember so many voices. I see Clint Ford's name on my caller ID, I know that's the voice of somebody that loves me. Lane walked in the back door, and when I saw him, he didn't have to give me any orders. He didn't have to give me any instruction. He just looked in the eyes and in the heart of somebody who loves me, and I just heard his voice. He prayed up here. He heard his voice. All of you have those kinds of, of experiences, you say, well, what's that got to do with Jesus and his voice? There are voices that we hear, and that voice says, you're mine. You're mine. What did the sheep hear? Did the sheep hear, get, you get out, you, you, you sheep, get out here right now. They, they'd be like, they, they, they'd stop in their tracks. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't know what to do, but they heard the voice. They heard him say something familiar. They may have heard that tune that he sang while they were out there grazing in the flock to keep them calm when danger was near. 
They may have heard the shepherd and his calmness telling them everything was okay. But Jesus said, I am that voice. And when you hear my voice, you know that there is someone who is speaking to you that knows that you are his, that you belong to him. These are my sheep and I love them and I will lead them in for protection and I will lead them out for pasture. Here's what I want to tell you. There are people that will jump over the wall and they will use you and they will abuse you and they will exploit you and they will hurt you and they will kill you and they will rob you. And Jesus says, not me. I love you. Hear my voice. And when I hear the voice of the one that I'm related to and connected to, that voice can tell me anything and I will obey it. Did you hear that? I'm not trying to minimalize the word of God at all. I'm just saying the Pharisees had the word of God. And they were, they were crushing people with it. They were crushing people with it. They were making rules, saying this guy can't be healed. This guy can't see. This guy can't get out of the bind that he's in. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to get you out of that bind, buddy. And I want you to follow me. And that blind guy that can now see would have followed Jesus anywhere. The voice. Jesus has been speaking truth. He is the word of God. But some hear and some do not. The same truth, the same content. It's a completely different experience. Dependent on the relationship to the one is speaking. They hear. It is intuitive. It strikes us deep within, long before the content is ever discerned. I know the one who is speaking to me, therefore I hear the content of what is said, and the voice touches a place in us long before the content of his speech compels us to reason. The sheep hear his voice. And, and, and here's what the text says. He calls his own sheep by name. What a shepherd would do is he would look at the characteristics of the sheep and he would give them a name based on their characteristics. It could be floppy-eared, it could be bow-legged, it could be slow-poke. I don't know what he would call them. I don't know what name he would give them. But we all understand that. I was at a wedding last week and I, I, I'm somewhat of a recluse, so I forced myself to just find people standing around looking bored or scared and I go up and talk to them. I don't know why I do that. And uh, I sat at the table and ate with a guy named Marty from Hilton Head that I'm sure he left wondering why I was so inquisitive and we had such a great conversation and just enjoyed it. And I saw a guy standing there. He was really dignified. He had on a suit. He very, very stoic. And uh, I said, how you doing, sir? I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Tack. Tack, like, like horse tack? You know, I don't know. I said, Tack. I said, can you spell that for me? He said, T-A-C-K. And he kind of laughed. He said, that's what they named me because my head was bigger than my body. And they said, I look like a thumbtack. <laughs> this is what he's, he names the sheep. He looks at them. And there are characteristics about them. And he's spending all of his time with them. He's spending 24-7 with them. When they're, when they're nervous, when they're afraid, when they're scared, when they're injured, when they're joyful, when, when they've overheated or it's too cold, what, whatever they're going through, he knows them and their reactions and their responses and their needs. This is the shepherd. He knows them so well, he calls them by name. 
the text tells us. He brings them out during the day for grazing and sunning and drinking and exercise. And he is responsible for, for protecting them when they're on the outside. And then he goes before them. He leads them. He teaches them. He protects them. And they follow him. True sheep follow Jesus. Don't say you know him and don't say you hear his voice if there is not some pattern in your life that indicates that you are following him. Examine your heart. Are you following Jesus? If you're not following him, you may be disguised as a sheep or really be a goat. And they know his voice. We, we compare that to John 9. This blind man would not follow the Pharisees, but they will flee from him. Jesus is talking about the stranger. With a stranger, they'll run from a stranger. They won't follow a stranger. The stranger, the thief, the robber could say the same thing the shepherd says, but if it is not the shepherd's voice, the sheep will not hear him or obey him. And the, the Pharisees, they've got their message, they've got the word, but they don't have the voice. And so we understand this illustration that Jesus is giving us here this morning. He wants to have a relationship with us. A relationship is a connection that is tender and thankful and teachable. That recognizes the voice of the one who is speaking as someone that I'm related to. As someone that I'm compelled to follow. As someone that I want to hear as someone that I want to be led by, as someone that will nurture me, as someone that will bring me to a place of health. That is Jesus. I don't know what you've heard about Jesus. I don't know what you think about Jesus. But I want to tell you that this illustration is a picture of who Jesus is. This illustration is a picture of who Jesus is. And if you've been listening to the Pharisees or you're just wandering around in the world aimlessly and beating your head against the wall and you're trapped within four walls and you're in a bind and you don't know how to get out, Jesus has come so that his voice can hit your heart and he is the way out of the bind that religion and sin has left you in. And not only is he the way out, but he's like, not only do I just want to get you out, not only do I just want to break you free, I want to be the one that leads you out. I want to be the one that takes care of you while you're out. I want to be everything in your life and I want to be the one that leads you back in. And Jesus says, gotten us out of the spine because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus lived the life that we could not live. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die and paid our sin debt in our place. And Jesus rose victorious over an enemy that we could not defeat. And Jesus says, based on his resurrection over death, he says, I will give you life. Come and follow me. But if you are not in Christ, you are in death. You are in death. And I compel you to come to him today. And then finally, we come to verses 7 to 9. We see the explanation. Jesus says it twice. I am the door. I am the way out. I am the way out of sin. I am the way out of death. I am the way into life. I am the door of the sheep. He said, I want you to understand my relationship. I want you to understand my character and picture me as a door. Here's what he wanted them to think of. Every time you go into the sheepfold to protect your sheep, and every time you come out for provision, every time you notice their unique characteristics, and you name them, and talk with them, and sing to them, and, and sense, and 
and, and smell and feel and hear their anxiety and their helplessness, helplessness. When they are loud or quiet or confused and you secure or calm them. When you heal and protect and fight off wolves and risk your own life and disciple them when they are wayward. I want you to think, here's what he's saying, of my relationship with you. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the, the way into that relationship and I am the only door. I am definite article D, door. He makes it clear all who have come before him are imposters. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus looks out on the sheep and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd and they're tired and they're worn out and they're beleaguered. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 11 where, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And these people were laboring and heavy laden under the weight that the Pharisees put on them. Jesus said, Come, I, I will give you rest. So Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And he makes it clear. If anyone enters by me and me alone through a relationship with me, he will receive a new heart and a new nature, and he will be saved, and he will be led out for provision, and he will be led back in for rest and protection. Listen, listen to me carefully. You were created to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. You were created for that. And you will never find rest, and you will never find protection, and you will never find provision until you are in Christ and Christ alone. And so I compel you this morning to see this beautiful illustration and to hear this thorough explanation and come to Christ. Finally, application, verse 10. The thief, the thief, uh, the, same, the same clothes, the same hat, the same paperwork, the same degrees, the same institutions, the same Bible, the same history, the same religion. They were, they were Jews as well as Jesus. They had the same history that Jesus had. Jesus is coming and teaching the Old Testament. But the thief has a different heart. The thief has a different entry point. And so he says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You don't have to live there. But Jesus finally says that I am the shepherd that brings life. I have come that you might have life, supernatural life, and that you might have it more abundantly. So I, I plead with you this morning. Let me just read a quote now. Um, I'll close with some questions. This is by Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell was a, a, a famous, um, brilliant atheist. Brilliant. But here's what Bertrand Russell said. He said, the center of me is always and eternally a terrible pain. So this is what's going on inside of me. The center of me is always and eternally a terrible pain. A searching for something beyond what the world contains, something transfigured and infinite. I think Bertrand Russell speaks for all of us in that respect. In that respect. The center of me is always and eternally a terrible pain. A searching for something beyond what the world contains, something transfigured and infinite. And then he, then he goes on to say, the beatific vision, God. I do not find it. I do not think it is to be found. But the love of it is my life. It is, it is the actual spring of life 
within me. I believe he's saying that there is this place that could be alive if I could find that. Bertrand Russell said, I do not find it. I do not think it can be found. But it can be. And his name is Jesus. And it's through a relationship with him. I would ask you, do you know the shepherd this morning? Yeah, maybe you know religion. Maybe, maybe you know theology. Maybe you know the Bible. I think all of those things can be good. But do you know the shepherd? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you following him? Are you hearing his voice? Are you comforted by him? Are you assured of, your, of his love for you? And I would invite you through the gospel to come into relationship with him this morning. Do you know the shepherd? Secondly, do you have life? There are a lot of things that we label life, but they are not life. Life is found in Christ alone. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Thirdly, is he calling you out of darkness into light? Are you in darkness today? And would you hear me as I compel you in, in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God? Come out of darkness into the light. Come and see. Fourthly, is he satisfying the deep longings of your heart as the bread of life? There is a hunger that is within you that nothing in this world can satisfy. It can only be satisfied by the bread of life. Would you come and see and would you taste and see? And then finally, are you in darkness? Are you bouncing from one bitter relationship to another? Are you lost without direction and hope? You can get out. Religion will leave you in a bind. The Pharisees will leave you in a bind. Sin has left all of us in a bind. But we can get out. Because Jesus has come to set the captives free. You say, well, I'm a believer and man, sin is just dominating my life. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is the door. Hear his voice. Follow him in for protection. Follow him out for provision. I love the 23rd Psalm. It speaks clearly to our relationship with the shepherd. Are you in darkness bouncing from one bitter relationship to another? Are you lost without direction and hope? You can get out. There is one door, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so I, I beg you this morning, I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Christ, to come. He, he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. Until you have the bread of life, you will have a hunger inside of you that can never be satisfied. Until you see the light of the world, you will be in darkness until the day that you die and spend eternity in darkness. And until you see Jesus Christ as the door, you're going to be running around looking for a way out that you can't create that is not open to you, but is found in Christ and Christ alone. So I, I compel you this morning to run to Christ. Every week at South Point, we, we have communion. We have bread. We have juice. It's for believers. If you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to participate in this meal with us uh, this morning. The juice represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Essentially, it is a picture of the gospel. Essentially, it is a picture of Christ and his love for us and his death for us.
And so I would invite you to come this morning and remember the Lord. And as you come, I would encourage you to think about the bread of life and realize that as this piece of bread touches your taste buds and there is this response that there is something much deeper that he has put in you that should be responding to who he is as we're reminded of the simple bread. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. As you see the light, as you partake of this, remember the light that is on in this room and recognize that there is something that is far greater than the light that we see, but it is the light that shines and, and removes us from the ignorance that we're in apart from Christ and brings us into a knowledge of him. So I invite you to come this morning if you know that Jesus Christ is the, is the door and enjoy this meal with us. Let me pray and then you can come today. Father, we thank you for the... the